How are you doing, V1 Church? <laughs> hey, my name is Mike Signorelli, and I am the lead pastor here at V1 Church. Thank you. And I want to sincerely welcome you. I want to say that we have V1 Church Indiana simulcasting with us live right now. Can we put our hands together for our Indiana family? We love you. We love you so much, Indiana. And I could hear you shouting from a thousand miles away for the very first time ever. We have Brooklyn, Long Island, Indiana, and V1 Global represented in the room. Can we put our hands together for the team that made that happen? Y'all, you're in for a treat. What I wanted to do was come out and thoroughly offend your family on the front end. Because I've learned, you know, people are like, hey, just shoot it to me straight. Show me what you really are. So I wanted to just give you an opportunity to get offended first, and then I'll give you God's word. Is that all right? But I will tell you this. I don't know if anybody else here agrees with me, but I actually believe every word of this book. I, I, I actually believe it, and I'm not trying to convince myself to believe it. I'm not hoping that this is true. I know through faith and through experience that every single word of this book is true. And listen, if you have a problem with this book, it's your problem, not the book's problem. It's your, it's your inter interpretation that's the problem. It's not what it's really saying is the problem. And, and I'm here on Long Island, on Long Island, because we have discovered that this book is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder even soul from spirit. And you don't read this book, it reads you. And this book is not the story of what happened. This book is the story of what always happens. Jesus won and Jesus is winning and he's gonna win again. <laughs> You can't, he's undefeatable, devil, if you can hear me. You lost, and you're going to keep losing. And today, you're about to lose whole families by the conclusion of this message because entire families are going to be saved and build their life on the firm foundation of this book. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, I want to read to you out of the 24th chapter of the book of Luke. And I'm going to be reading at length right now because... In many churches, pastors have given their opinions. They say things that sound good. They say things that they hope will persuade you to believe the gospel. I am not here to persuade you with eloquence. I am not here to persuade you with personal life stories from my family. I'm not here to meticulously, meticulously craft a message in such a way that, my, that, that maybe in the emotion of the moment, you experience Christ because Christ is not an emotion. Christ is not a chill bump. Christ is not a worship song. Come on, Christ is the Son of God in all of his glory, the resurrected King. And I'm not here to give you the eloquence of words, but a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. 
because it's the Holy Spirit that preaches to you while I'm preaching. It's the Holy Spirit that removes the scales from your eyes. And you'll say, I don't know what it was that he said. I can't hardly remember how he said it. But all I know is I once was blind and now I see. All I know is I didn't believe and now I believe. And I am reliant in this message on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So don't think for a second that I'm here to convince you of anything because I've never convinced anybody and I've never changed anybody. But the Holy Spirit will go into the innermost parts of your heart and deal with some trauma and some triggers and some pain from your past. The Holy Spirit during the next 25 minutes in this message will do a work inside of you and you'll realize why your wife won't stop praying. You'll realize why your wife keeps inviting you to church. You'll realize and she won't have to tell you another word. The Holy Spirit will speak it into the innermost parts of your heart. So buckle your seatbelt, sinner. Are you at Luke chapter 24? And some of you, the reason why you don't go to church is because you're like, well, I'm not religious. So God had to bring you to a church full of thousands of people who are not religious to be like, welcome to the club. We're the wild ones. Like, you know, this is like a bar without alcohol. Instead, we serve the new wine of the Holy Spirit and we turn up and we're not hung over the next day. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read this at length. Many of you have heard the resurrection story, but you've never read it. So we're going to take some time as a global V1 church family, and we're going to actually read together. We're going to look at, and I'm going to let the Bible primarily preach to you at the beginning of this message. Are you ready? Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went out to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. I could stop right there and we could all go home if you got a revelation of what just happened. They did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood there in dazzling apparel And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. (laughs) Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11 and to the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. I love that Mary, the mother of James, was there as well. But I especially love the fact that the woman that had seven demons cast out of her there was was there to witness the resurrection. How many of you know that some of you, we have a past, but that doesn't mean our past deletes our purpose. Come on. Sometimes it's the ones who got free from the most demons who love the most. The Bible says those who are forgiven much love much. Sometimes people can't understand the type of love that we have for our Savior. Just tell them, I was forgiven the most, so I love the most. Mary Magdalene was there. Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women, when they told these things to the apostles, 
You know, the professionals, the men, <laughs> the guys who thought they had figured God out. But these words seem to be a little idle tale. Some of you sitting in your seat between Indiana and here in Long Island, some of you at home watching and watch parties, there's a spirit of doubt that's plagued your life, that's infected like a disease, every morsel of the faith inside of your soul. And you're here today, and when you hear this story, like verse 11 says, it seems like an idle tale. Some of you think that religion, Christianity is just a crutch. It's an idle tale that your family believes in to give them a little bit of hope. I'm here to convince you today through the power of the Holy Spirit, not my words, not an argument, but his revelation, that this is not a crutch. It's more than a crutch. A crutch is a compliment. It's almost saying as if I could crawl my way through life. I'm not, I'm not even at that place. I'm a dead man walking. And had it not been for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, I couldn't even have a crutch to lean on. Does somebody know what I'm talking about today? This idle tale, and they did not believe them. If you feel sometimes upset and condemned with yourself because you struggle with believing it, understand that those who saw Jesus face to face, not Jesus through the Holy Spirit, not Jesus like Paul encountered him as a vision, but Jesus with flesh, flesh that needed to be deodorized and showered and bathed and combed and brushed and clothed. And, and yet seeing Jesus to that level, to that degree of fullness was not enough to even help their doubting hearts. How many of you know we need the Holy Spirit? Because the first account that we have here is they didn't believe. Verse 13 says, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had been happening. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So Jesus is resurrected. Now he's walking with these men to Emmaus, seven miles out from Jerusalem. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, hey, yo. That's in my Bible. Yo, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things, which is happening right here? And he said to him, what things? And they said, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a prophet, mighty in esteem and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, the, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I wanna stop there at verse 21. It gives us a picture into what it looks like to truly be a disciple of Christ. We had hoped that things would work out differently. I went to church, said a prayer because the pastor told me to, and I had hoped that Jesus was going to finally cause my business to prosper. I um, went up for front, up to the front when they called for prayer, even though it was so awkward and I wanted to stay in my seat. And me and my wife got prayer right here because, Pastor, I had hoped that Jesus was going to fix our marriage. Um, if you had ever engaged with Jesus and then experienced something in life that doesn't feel like what you hoped for, the two men on the road to Emmaus knew exactly how you felt. 
Anybody ever hoped that Jesus would heal him and he didn't heal? Anybody hope that a dying loved one would be rescued and somehow still with you to even have this Easter experience now and with a heavy heart you come in through these doors because they're not here? These two men that were walking the road to Emmaus, they said to Jesus himself, without realizing that Jesus was in their midst, we had hoped that Jesus would come through. It's funny how sometimes we'll even be talking to our friends saying, man, I hoped that that prayer was heard, not knowing that Jesus is standing next to you, listening to you say that to your friend. Oh man, I'm getting all up in your business because it got quiet right now. Ain't nobody shouting now. And so this is what it says in verse 20, and how our chief prophets and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned. It says, yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back that they had even seen this vision of angels, and they said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but, but him they did not see. Isn't it amazing how there are friends that you can have that can tell you, I promise you he's alive, but because you haven't seen it, you don't believe. This is exactly what's happening on the very first Easter, the very first Resurrection Sunday. This is what's happening. It's like they're saying, but I haven't seen. And then it says in verse 25, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer the things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets? It said that he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, hey, stay with us for it's towards the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to them and he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who had gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then when they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them. Can you imagine? They're sharing the story, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Jesus himself, himself says, peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened. I bet Jesus, knowing his personality over the years, probably did that for comedic effect. They were like, he is alive. I've seen him. He was walking in the road, and he just appeared and said, peace be with you. And they're like, oh, geez, Jesus, literally. They were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And I want to say this to all of you who have reduced my Jesus to a good moral teacher. I'm saying this phrase right now to hurt your feelings. He is more 
than a moral teacher because there are those who have studied the resurrection and have tried to say that it was a delusion to experience the resurrection and that the resurrection is not credible, but rather a spiritual experience that people had. And I'm saying it in air quotes for those of you listening to the podcast that chemicals were released from their brain that created a euphoric religious experience, but it wasn't a bodily resurrection. And Jesus knew that there would be some fools in 2022 that needed what I'm about to read you in scripture right now. I love you enough to call you what you are if you believe that all this stuff is only spiritual. But then they startled and frightened, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you, why do you, why do your doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and feet that it is I myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, his feet. And then while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he said to them, and again, this is just Jesus flexing right now. This is Jesus being like, yo, you want to see something crazy? Who's got something to eat? He's like, he probably went to Peter. He's like, Peter, I know y'all, you're always snacking. What you got, Peter? And he said, this is, and no, this is like a first century snack. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he didn't say he ate it because he was hungry. He said he ate it to show him I'm not just a spirit. I'm back physically. I'm back physically. Come on, Muhammad, when he died, he stayed dead. When Buddha died, he stayed dead. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, give me something to eat so you watch this fish go into a physical stomach because I'm not like them. They might teach you something that you think is good, but I'm God. I don't need a good teaching. I want to hear from God. The resurrection is credible, the resurrection is merciful, and the resurrection is personal. I've only got a few minutes left because somebody's got some broiled fish they're waiting to make disappear. <laughs> but the resurrection is credible, it's merciful, and it's personal. I'm going to give you six evidences of how credible and reliable this is. Number one, the empty tomb. You would think a person who disrupted society to the extent that we tell time by when he arrived on planet Earth, whether you're a Christian or not, we would know where his body is. We know where Shakespeare's body is. Why do we not know where Jesus' body is? Do you hear me? We know where George Washington's body was because he started a country, but Jesus affected the world. Where's his body? Stop with this foolishness. We got our young people watching YouTube videos that some joker who lives in his mom's basement put together and it's dissuading them from the faith. Let me give you some meat this morning, son. Number two, eyewitness accounts in the first century. As a matter of fact, when you go through the scriptures, it repeatedly says, we all saw this. We don't expect that you would only agree with what we're saying. It's appropriate for you to go see it for yourself. Eyewitnesses. Number three, Jesus' apostles suddenly have courage. 
You've got to reconcile that these guys were wusses. These guys were weak. These guys wouldn't last three days in Queens. Or they wouldn't even last 13 minutes in the Bronx. And for those of you in Indiana, they wouldn't last 72 seconds in Gary. Not a lot of laughs here. So here's the thing I need you to understand. The apostles suddenly having courage. Remember, this is the same Peter that denied him three times. Not when a big burly man with weaponry said, are you a disciple of Jesus? But when a little girl said, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? And he's like, ah, no. I've got to contextualize it because some of you have elevated these people to the place of divinity and you've never been revealed their humanity, but you can't accept the divinity of the Holy Spirit without first acknowledging your own humanity. We're all scared. We're all doubters. We're all struggling with this, but they suddenly have courage. James, the brother of Jesus, was skeptical. How many of you know that your own family is going to be the last person to think you got a call from God on your life? James, the brother of Jesus, he's like, Jesus, I watched you poop your pants one time. This is family stuff. You, you go through life with your family. Your family's always going to be the last person to think that you're divine. And he struggled with that. But watch, he was skeptical, but James Something happened. He saw something that eventually he was stoned to death for his faith. Why did Jesus' brother receive martyrdom on behalf of a lie if it's a lie? Does somebody know what I'm talking about? Large eyewitnesses of crowds. Now, only 20 years after Christ's resurrection, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the apostle Paul records 20 years after Christ's resurrection that most of these men and women are still alive when he wrote the letter. And this is about 55 AD. And undoubtedly, these people have told you, you can go talk to them, you can see them. And then last but not least, this is one of my favorites. There's a guy named Saul. He's killing Christians. He's absolutely offended at the idea that you can have a direct relationship with God and circumvent an old covenant where animals have to be sacrificed and by their pure and innocent blood, we receive forgiveness. It was like the whole idea of the early Christians was offensive to him because it undermined his entire life's endeavor. And then that man ends up having such an encounter with Jesus that he endures floggings, three beatings, three shipwrecks, a stoning, extreme poverty, a year of ridicule, and then finally the emperor Nero commissions his beheading because he refused to deny his faith in Jesus Christ. And so I say to those of you who are still skeptical that the resurrection is credible, what in the world would be willing, you would be, what in the world would you be willing to go through for a lie? It doesn't make sense. The next one, though, is that the resurrection is merciful. I'm going to ask that the band comes up to help me. These two men are on the road to Emmaus. Christ walked with them through their doubts. Jesus shows his mercy. What I love about this story is that they're seven miles out from Jerusalem. Some of you are on your third mile 
of a seven mile journey with Jesus. You, oh, come on somebody. That first mile you met him, you felt chill bumps. That first mile before you really like departed from your way, you, you were in a great church service, but somehow in the middle of the journey, you could be talking about something that happened and not have a relationship in the present. These two men who were on the road to Emmaus, or to the road to Jerusalem from Emmaus, were having a conversation with Jesus, never fully aware that he was there the entire time. What have I told you? While you're telling your friends about your life, while you're telling them about how hard it is. What if I told you that you're a few miles in to that road, uh, on that road of Emmaus, and Jesus is here because he's merciful. He's merciful and that he doesn't leave you in your doubts. He doesn't leave you in your fears. He doesn't leave you in that condition. Maybe some of you, all you needed was the first part of this message, that his resurrection is credible. And you say, Pastor Mike, if you gave me the opportunity right now, I would rededicate my life to Jesus and turn everything over. But there's yet some of you that you need God to be merciful with you because maybe you were hurt by a church. But let me just tell you, that was a man that did that to you. That was not Jesus. Maybe you were manipulated. Maybe a church only wanted your money. But, but listen, that's not the gospel. Maybe a man did those things. But Jesus said, when you could give me nothing, I put my love out on the line and I gave everything in hopes that you would give me your life. I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He is merciful, church. And listen, just because you went to a few bad churches, you're going to eat today for lunch. You've had food poisoning and a bad meal, but you didn't stop going to restaurants. The thing that I want to help you understand is that he is merciful. But here's the thing. When they were on that road from Emmaus and they were walking together, they didn't know Jesus was right there, but they said one thing. They said, but did our hearts not burn when he began to talk of the scriptures? I read over 40 scriptures today in hopes that there are some men hearing my voice that literally your heart begin to burn while I read the word because you said, I may not understand Jesus. I may not know what this is all about, but when I hear the scriptures, my heart burns. There's something inside of me and I hope that it's more than just the passion of my voice, but it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that's coming for you, burning in your heart. Some of you were in parochial religious schools and you couldn't get down for all the rules, but your heart would burn when they begin to read the word because spirit is connecting with spirit of truth. And I pray that you get a revelation that he is merciful. Last but not least, the resurrection is personal. It's personal. You know, recently I was at our V1 Indiana location and I loved them so much. I was hanging out with them, prophesying all over them, praying for them. We're crying together, laughing together. This was just two weeks ago. And I jumped on a flight to come back here to New York. And I was so excited to see my boo kitty. Julie, that's my wife. 
And I was like, man, I got to get home to my wife because I can't cuddle our executive pastor, Josh. It's not appropriate. So I was like, I gotta get home. So all of a sudden we're on this flight. Now, have you ever heard about the thousands of cancellations that are happening and the, pray you, you, the prayer you pray is, God, please let me take off? I will never pray that again because what happened to me was so traumatizing. Church, I need you to pray for me today. So I, this was my flight pattern. I'm not kidding. What you're seeing now, let me tell you this quick story. So all of a sudden, I was, they, they tell us, hey, you're the last flight out of Chicago to New York City. And I'm like, praise God. Next time I hear those words, I'm gonna say, I would like to forfeit my seat. I don't have time for a near-death experience today. Because we took off. Now listen, for years and years and years, our church is V1 Church. By the way, we're celebrating our fifth birthday right now. I don't know if you guys know that. Come on, we got a little grade schooler. So we're, our church is named V1 Church. Now V1 in an airplane is when the airplane takes off the runway. And it's always been our way of saying no turning back. This thing is taken off. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. We're gonna go V1, right? But here's what's funny. So I'm not afraid of turbulence at all because I love science and I've read about it and the, the ride in the car and here in New York City, the Uber to the airport is significantly deadlier than the flight statistically. So I've never, so for years and years and years, we've been flying and um, every time there's a little bump, Julie goes, oh, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me, Jesus, of all my sins, Jesus every single time. So then now our, both of our daughters, when it happens, they, so now it's all three of them go, oh Jesus, I love you, please Jesus. So it's like, and then I laugh at them, I make fun of them, it's like a big thing. So I'm never, because I've read the science behind turbulence and it's like the plane's not gonna fall apart in the middle of the air, it's not gonna you know, go down to the ground, it's fine. So all of a sudden we're hitting all this bad turbulence and we're halfway through the flight and I kid you not, this is a true story. All of a sudden, I'm like, this is kind of like a ride. You know, I'm like trying to, to convince myself it's not that bad. All of a sudden, I'm sitting over the wing and a big bright flash hits and it goes boom and hits the plane and lightning strikes our plane. And then I look, now this is a strategy. I look to the stewardesses because they, they fly all day. And as long as they're fine, I'm fine. And when it happens, they both go, and I'm like, Jesus, please forgive me. <laughs> please, Jesus. <laughs> Julie was right. I should have I rented a car. Why is our church named V1 anyways? This is stupid. <laughs> so it's only an hour and a half flight from Chicago to New York City. We're in the plane for three and a half hours now. And for the last hour and a half, it doesn't feel like we're flying. It feels like we're falling for like an hour and a half straight, like it feels like we're falling. So then the Wi-Fi's on and I pull up a flight tracker and all of a sudden this is what I see. That's barrel rolls. That was him saying, ain't nobody gonna stop me. That's, you know, and I'm like that, cause look at that. 
And Julie had a flight tracker up and I'm literally sending messages to our pastors. And I'm like, guys, if I don't make it out alive, I just wanna tell you there are some keys over here. I put, I'm like literally preparing to go, you know? I'm like, Lord, I didn't think it was gonna be like this. It was the most terrifying. Then we go to attempt a landing. And, at the, and I'm like, finally, I don't even care if we just get this thing, even if it's a rough landing. Right as we're beginning to land, we almost touch the runway, and at the last second, he takes off again. And I'm like, and I told you, I was like, oh, Jesus, please forgive me. If there's any unconfessed sin now, let me go deeper. Lord, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to, what else is in there, God? Now, I'm not kidding. There's viral TikToks about this flight and another flight that you can see online because people were throwing up everywhere. Like there, there was a guy behind me having a panic attack. They're hooking him up to oxygen. There's vomit all in the aisles. I'm not making this up. It was terrifying. But why do I say that? Because the resurrection is personal. I, as the plane, I felt like maybe this is it. Cause that was like, wow, this is crazy. Everyone's throwing up around me. I had my uh, AirPod Pros on with that noise canceling and I'm like, just rocking back and forth. Don't hear it. If you don't hear it, it's not happening. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This is like, I'm, people are throwing up. It's this crazy thing. And as, as I thought, like, what if, what if we don't make it? What if there's some fluke thing? I suddenly realized I am not afraid at all to die. But what I feared was separation from my children and my wife. Because there's something about death that is like this irretrievable past. Some of us have lost loved ones within the last year and you feel that like, man, I just wanted to call them on this Easter so bad, but their number doesn't connect to them anymore. It's this irretrievable feeling that you have, like I can't get it back. Or maybe you watch somebody physically decline. And, and as they go through that physical decline, it's like, oh man, they can't, they can't do what they used to do. We've lost connection and then they die. There's something about being human that the fear, even if you don't fear the moment of death, you fear how irretrievable the moments of life are. But then I started thinking about this sermon and I started thinking about the scriptures that I read you and they remember Jesus in the prime of his life physically. They remember, they probably know in Jesus, they probably wrestled with him and played around around with him and they walked all over with Jesus and they ate good meals and Jesus said, man, that was such good fish. And so when Jesus came back, he said, I conquered death. It's retrievable, life is retrievable. And he said, I'm not just gonna give you a consolation prize where you're some spirit floating around in heaven. You are gonna receive a new body that's better than your old body. And remember how we used to eat fish together? We can eat fish in these new bodies because it's realer than real, but death has lost its hold. It cannot, it's never to be dead again. And we don't have to worry ever again about being separated. So why would the disciples who became apostles be willing to die for Jesus? They were waiting for their new body and resurrection to say, I'm going to be eating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be drinking wine together and we're going to be breaking bread together because my future is my past restored. 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 
Hinduism says, well, maybe the best you can get is you can be reincarnated. No, I don't want that. I want my family. I want to see Bella. I want to see Everly. I want to see Julia. I don't want a new family. See, or maybe the secular humanist, oh, when you die, your physical body goes back to the earth and maybe a tree can grow out of it. No, I don't want that. There's already enough trees. We're good. I moved to New York City. I'm not a fan. I need you to understand that what Jesus said is all other religions give you a consolation prize for the afterlife but I don't give consolation, I give restoration. I am going to give you back everything that you lost and I'm gonna give it back better. And so for those of you who are mourning a loved one that's not here on this Easter, can I tell you, you will be eating again. You will be together again. They may not be at your table today, but the Lord has prepared a table for you and your family. Would you jump up to your feet with me today? You lose nothing when you realize that the resurrection is personal. It's personal. I may not be united with my family at the same time, but we're gonna be united for all time because we're a family that says, I've chosen this day whom we will serve. We will serve the Lord. Romans chapter eight, verse 38, 39 says this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, no nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you believe it, can you shout? Come on. I got one more moment I want to make. If you're next to, come on, you can sing that and minister behind me. If you're next to your family right now, I want you to grab your family. If you're, maybe you're next to your husband, you're next to your wife, I want you to grab your family. Next to your cousins, your uncles, your brothers. The Lord told me that today, entire families are going to be saved. The Lord told me today that entire bloodlines are going to be saved. Entire generations are going to be saved, and it's going to happen right now. I pray that the Lord revealed something to you, not a good sermon, but the Holy Spirit said, Son, I loved you at your darkest. Come turn to me now. You don't have to be perfect. I'll teach you my ways. I believe that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you now. Daughter, I want to heal you of all of your diseases. I want to touch you. I want to minister to you and heal your broken heart. As you're with your family, just holding your family, if you want to receive Jesus as your Messiah, your Savior, if you want to make that decision to say, I believe that I'm going to share in the resurrection and that I'm going to be joined together with my entire family because we're all going to be saved and none of us are going to be lost to the resurrection. Would you just stretch your hand up and show me your hand from the front to back? Come on. Praise God. You can put your hands down. There's so many people I see just weeping right now. 
just crying under the power of God. There's been prayers. Some of you have great grandmothers that prayed that from their lineage would come believers of faith and followers of Jesus and your great grandmother's prayer is being answered today, right now. Some of you, your dad, your great, great grandfather was a preacher, was a pastor, was a saint and he's calling you forth in his prayers for generations and that's gonna be answered right now. So as a church, I want us to say this together and as we say this, I want you to hear the voices of all of the families around you as families are saved and we all join together in the resurrection with Jesus and we all share a meal and say everybody who is at that Easter service from Indiana to Long Island, we sit at the table together now and we join in the resurrection. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean with your blood. I dedicate my life to you. I give my family to you. And I thank you that our lives belong to you. We are saved in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. And let's lift up a song of worship. Come on, let's sing it.